0: If you turn, please, to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, please. I'm going to begin reading with verse 21 and read the section I read last Sunday plus then, the section that's in your bulletin for this morning as well. You'll find um, a prayer of illumination printed uh, in the bulletin this morning. It's uh, adapted from a prayer that Martin Luther uh, prayed often in his own life as he opened the scripture. And so I thought it would be helpful for us as well. So let's pray this prayer of illumination together. Dear God and Father, we thank you for your infinite goodness and love to us. You continually keep us in the word, in faith, and in prayer, that we may know how to walk before you in humility and in fear and that we may not pride ourselves on our own wisdom and righteousness, skill and strength, but glory alone in your power that is strong when we're weak and gains the victory. Write into our hearts by the Holy Spirit what is so abundantly found in the Scripture, and let us constantly keep it in mind and permit it to become far more precious to us than our own life and whatever we cherish on earth. Help us to live and to act accordingly. To you be praise and thanks forever, amen. So Romans in chapter three, verse 21. This is the word of the Lord. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law of the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short to the glory of God. By what kind of law? By a law of works, no, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means, on the contrary, we uphold the law. And then together we say, the grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. What a question. Verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? Now, I think, I want to say to Paul, you know, it's it's obvious after what you've just said that we can't boast in ourselves. I mean, he's just made perhaps the most magnificent statement a person could ever make. That God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What a statement. I really hope that you write that down and stick it in your Bible or in your prayer book or on your mere, we call that mere Christianity, uh, when you look and wherever you look, so that this expression, this phrase is always in front of you, that God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith, the one who believes in Jesus. Magnificent statement. And, and when he says that, what he's saying is that, that God is righteous in justifying us. Think about that. He's saying God is right to look at the likes of you and me and say, you're righteous in my sight. I receive you as one who has this righteousness upon you. And we go, that's impossible, because I'm not righteous. How could that ever be? And he goes, I know. And we know that God can't acquit the guilty because he's righteous, but but yet he does. He's just, he's righteous, he's just. And he can also justify, declare righteous, the one who has faith in Jesus. How does he do that? Well, the cross of Jesus demonstrates God's righteousness, that God is right in declaring us righteous in Jesus, you see. Because Christ has redeemed us, that he's paid the price so that we could be released from the slavery to the penalty of sin, eternal condemnation, hell, and its power. He's paid the price, the ransom price. He's redeemed us. We were enslaved. He paid the price that we might be set free. He did it by his blood. And then he also was the propitiation for our sins. That is, because of what he did in his blood, he, he satisfied, he quenched, if you will, the wrath of God against us. So, so God isn't angry with us and, and thus can receive us to himself. So because he's redeemed us and because he's made propitiation, then we can be accepted in the holy presence of God we can be declared, we can be justified declared to be righteous and no one neither Satan nor any person not even us, no one can accuse God of doing something wrong in that, it's not like God overlooked anything, he took care of everything, everything was dealt with in Christ there are no outstanding warrants there's no time left unserved, you see. There's no, oh, I should have thought about that, but I didn't. Everything is completely taken care of. Every righteous I is dotted. Every righteous T is crossed. Everything is really done. And we have every right, therefore, in Jesus, to come into the very presence of God, to those who believed in him. He gave to them the right to be called children of God. And it comes by faith. It doesn't come through our works. Faith is the opposite of works, really. Faith isn't even on the same page. Now remember, as we said, faith always needs an object. To call yourself a person of faith is an empty statement to refer to a community of people as a community of faith is an empty statement. Because anytime you use the word faith, it begs for an object, faith in what, faith in in whom. And we say we have faith in Jesus. God calls us, he justifies those who have faith in, in Jesus. And so what we're saying when we say we have faith in Jesus is that we don't trust ourselves or anyone else. Faith is simply the way we receive all that God has for us in Jesus. And we say, I'm I'm not trusting in my own wisdom as if I know what's right to do and how to do it. I'm not trusting um, in my own goodness to have the motivation to do that which is right and good. I'm not trusting in my own strength to be able to do that. Faith says If I trusted in my own wisdom, I would go the wrong way. I would be on the wrong road. If I trusted in my own goodness, I would never do that which is good in the eyes of God, only good in my eyes, and thus I would be condemned. I I never trust in my own strength because I simply can't, I won't, I can't, follow after him. Faith says I trust Jesus. To have done it all, Martin Lloyd Jones, uh, someone I quote from time to time, I know, um, has written, preached, and then written from those sermons twelve volumes on Romans, uh, and he only got through Romans 14. But he puts it like this: He says we must be careful, however, about our definition of faith and what faith does and where faith comes in. Faith is nothing but the instrument of our salvation. Now, in Scripture, you will find uh, nowhere in Scripture, let me say that emphatically, nowhere in Scripture will you find that we're justified because of our faith. Nowhere in Scripture will you find that we are justified on account of our faith. See, our faith doesn't save us. Jesus does. Our faith simply receives what Jesus has done. So I can't boast in my faith. I can't say, hey, I have faith that does that. It's not like in the Old Testament. God said you have to obey all these laws, and we couldn't. So he said, okay, I'll make it easier for you. All you have to do is trust me. No, 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 because we'd boast in that trust. We'd boast in that faith. And so faith doesn't save us. Jesus does. Faith in Jesus saves us. So he says, the scripture says that we are justified by faith and through faith. Faith is nothing but the instrument or the channel by which this righteousness of God in Christ becomes ours. It's not faith that saves us. What saves us is the Lord Jesus Christ and his perfect work. It is the death of Christ upon Calvary's cross that saves us. It is his perfect life that saves us. It is his appearing on our behalf in the presence of God that saves us. It's God putting Christ's righteousness to our account that saves us. This is the righteousness that saves. Faith is but the channel and the instrument by which his righteousness becomes mine. The righteousness is entirely Christ's. My faith is not my righteousness, and I must never define or think of faith as righteousness. Faith is nothing but that which links us the Lord Jesus Christ and His righteousness. We're depending upon Him alone. In fact, Martin Luther had a wonderful expression for this righteousness. He called it an alien righteousness. It's the righteousness that belongs to Christ, His righteousness. He obeyed, He obeyed the law completely. And As we'll see by the time we get to the end of this passage, uh, uh, this way of saving us, that's God's righteousness, um, doesn't at all nullify the law. In fact, it upholds it. It upholds it. It shows it in all of its glory. Because Christ, you see, fulfills it at every turn. So, so you get to this point, you know, and Paul says, so... Uh, then what becomes of our boasting? And we wanna say, well, the apostle of Captain Obvious, um, we can't boast in anything. He goes, yeah, you're right. He says, it's excluded. By what kind of law? On what basis is boasting excluded? By the law of works or on the basis of works? And you say, well, if it could be done by works, then I could boast, but it can't be, so I can't boast in that regard. No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And we go, okay, but, but really, Paul, you've already said that. I mean, you've already made that point. Why are you trying to make it again? Why are you emphasizing this again? And, and of course, I, I don't know exactly, I, don't, I can't get into his mind, but, but reasonably, I would say this, that he says it again, because he's a preacher, because he wants to make his point, And he wants to make sure we don't miss it. And he realizes that this is the point we could easily miss. Because you see, boasting in ourselves, pride in ourselves, is so ingrained in us. It's so hardwired in us. I mean, Paul knew this about himself. Flip to um, Philippians in chapter 3 for just a moment. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. He writes... For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I've got more. In other words, Paul's saying, I understand this tendency of human beings to trust in yourselves and to boast in yourself and to think, that you have something to offer God by which, through which, because of which, he'll, he'll say that you're righteous. Paul says, I, I get this, trust me. He says, he says here's, my, here's my life. He says, um, I was circumcised on the eighth day. And he says, my parents did the right thing. I was born into the right family. I was born into this family of, of, of Israelites who, who knew what they needed to do. And they did it. They had me circumcised on the eighth day. Of the people of Israel, I belong to the people of God. Of the tribe of Benjamin, I know my own tribe. A Hebrew of Hebrews, saying listen, I, I, of all the Hebrews, I, I knew the language, I spoke it. I, I, I was one raised and brought up in all of this. As to the law of Pharisees. so I achieved the highest rank of anybody concerning the law of my people. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, the pharisaical law. He says, you couldn't blame me, I, I was blameless. I, I had it all, people would look at me And they would think that I was worthy of God. And and yet, I can't boast in any of that. In fact, he says, I'm going to count all of that as rubbish. I can't boast in any of that. That that doesn't give me a leg up on anyone. Even all of that. So whatever you have, Paul would say, I get it. I, I get the tendency to say, yeah, God must accept me because of something in me, but, but trust me, Paul says, no, you can't boast. You can't boast in anything, you see, uh, at all. We all read the peril of the prodigal son and we think about this son who had wasted his father's inheritance and was so evil and yet how wonderful it was through the grace of God that, that uh, through grace that his father received him back and threw a big party for him and we talk about the peril of the prodigal son But really, Jesus intended that to be the prodigal of the elder brother. The aim of that that parable was for the Pharisees, who thought they had earned it, who thought they had merited the favor of God. And the elder brother got mad, you remember, because he thought, my brother doesn't deserve any of this. I deserve it all. I've been faithfully serving my father all all this time, and he doesn't throw a party for me. That's the tendency of human beings. The tendency of human beings, remember the parable of Jesus when he had this tax collector and this Pharisee, and the Pharisee begins to pray, you know, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I tithe. I'm not, adulter- I'm not an adulterer. You know, I worship, I pray. He said, he said, I thank you that I'm not like them because I know that you accept me because of all these things true of me. In fact, this has been Paul's whole argument about human beings since chapter 1, verse 18, when he said that we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. He says we have the truth, we see the creation that God has made, and we say, I can worship somebody better than that. And I'll make that idol, and I'll worship that idol, and I won't give thanks to this creator, but I can worship somebody better than the one who made all of this. So much so that you might remember at the end of chapter one, verse 28, Paul writes, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, then God gave them over to their debased mind, and here's what happened. They became slanderers, verse 30, haters of God, insolent, haughty, that is proud, boastful. To boast, you see, in their own works, boast in something that is true of them. Every time I think of this, I, forgive me, but I have to smile. Because I just think of my own life. I think of myself. I think how easy it is. You know, I know I would never say that God accepts me because of anything that I've done. Because, you know, we all know the right answers. <laughs> but when you come into worship on a Sunday morning, Maybe your problem is you haven't engaged yet, so engage. But but when you do engage, when you do think about the very fact that you're actually coming to worship God, have you ever sat in the pew before it started or get going and and begin to sing and so forth and, and think, why would God ever accept me? Now, this morning, you can't miss it. I mean, all the prayers and all the songs point us to boasting in the Lord. So if you missed it, you really missed it. But let's face it. Let's face it, it's so easy to think, well, you know, this will be a good Sunday because I had a quiet time five out of seven days this week. Well, this is going to be a, a great Sunday because I only got mad at my wife three times instead of the normal 10, and I think that's above average, right? I think I'm better, I, I bet that guy lost his temper and had more arguments than I did this week. You know, and I only lost my temper six times to my kids, but four times they really deserved it. So, uh, you know, I'm not that bad. And and, and coming in, I, I put a lot of money in, in the little box. And, and, you know, I'm a leader in the church, and, and I signed up to teach Sunday school in the fall. And so this is going to be a great Sunday because I know that... That's why even after Paul said God is the... God is just and the justifier of all those, the one who has faith in Jesus. And he just stopped for a minute and said, okay, where's the boasting? Is there any semblance of self-righteousness in you that that, that, didn't get get wiped out uh, by what I just said? Just kind of stop us for that moment. It's only through faith in Jesus. Because you see, And he goes on, I think, for his next logical point in verse 29. And he says, is is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. You see, whenever we think that we have anything in ourselves about which to boast before God, it causes me to think I'm better than somebody else. And when it causes me to think I'm better than somebody else, or that we as a group might be better than somebody else, then it causes division. Paul knew this was true in the church of Rome. It was true in the early church. They had a tremendous division, one that can't be overemphasized between Jew and Gentile. In fact, we've seen it even as we've begun reading Romans in chapters 1 and 2. And he, he, he singles out his people. And he says, I, I know that you boast in the law, that you have the law, that you boast that you belong to God, that you boast that you're an Israelite. You're putting your confidence in that. I need you to put your confidence, if you're really going to be saved, in Jesus not in these external things, not in your nationality, not in your heritage, not in those kinds of, of things to think that things, these things you've done, therefore you're safe, therefore you're saved. No, it's not about that. See, what, what Paul really wanted was this church to come together, this church to be in harmony. When we started out, we, we said one of the reasons for which Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome was to, to unite them, verse five of Romans 15. He said, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. He says, he says I've, I've called you to come together in one voice but, but as long as you are boasting in anything that's in yourself, You'll put yourself over and above another, and when that occurs, you'll never be able to come together. You'll never be able to have one voice with me to worship and to glorify and to glorify God. You see, that's what happens. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is the only thing, therefore, that can ultimately Unite people. Now, now, we can make laws that restrict prejudice, restrict one person boasting about themselves over another, and we can have even social customs that, that sort of um, discipline in those areas, but, but those kinds of things will change. And plus, that really is just muzzling the situation. This really gets at the heart. Because you see, when a person really comes to faith in Jesus, what they're saying is that I have absolutely nothing true in me that recommends me at all to God. That makes me just like everybody else. I can't put forward my nationality or my ethnicity or the color of my skin or the education that I have or the amount of money that I have or my social standing or any of that. I mean, here's the discipline. How, how do you look at other people? When you look at other people, what do you see? Now, it's, it's easy to see differences. It's easy to compare. It's easy to say, well, I think I'm better than they are in this area or that area. I went to a better school, came from a better neighborhood. I'm obviously better looking. And uh, I have more money, or I live in a better part of town, or, or I'm an American, or whatever that is. And it's easy to to begin thinking about that. And as soon as we do, what we've done is we've created a vision. What unites us? There is another one just like me. There is another one who needs the grace of God. There's another one who's a sinner. There's another one that can't do anything in and of himself or herself to commend himself or herself to God. Just like, just like me. simply, See the way that it is. Now the difference is when you become a Christian, don't necessarily go away. When Paul says that in Christ there's no male or female, slave or free, um, uh, Jew or Greek, you- when you become a Christian, if you're a man, you don't stop being one. If you're a woman, you don't stop being a woman. You're still, There's still male and female. There's still Jew and Greek uh, nationalities. There's still a slave or free, depending on your social standing. Oh, that's really true. That's not what Paul means, just that's really true, but that's no longer how we really see each other. That's no longer our ultimate identity. We're human beings created in the image of God who need him and who have nothing to offer him and, and stand completely empty, in need of his grace, you see. But but this idea of putting ourselves over against each other and, and better than each other is, is so ingrained in us. Uh, you know this passage in James and, and uh, in chapter two, um, uh, verse one. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. You see, we have to be told this. What do you mean, show no partiality? It means It means just that. Verse two, the example he gives. For a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, or you say to the poor man, you stand over there, sit down. Uh, Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? We see that. We know that. In fact, Peter himself uh, was called out by Paul for... Doing the same thing in Galatians and in chapter 2, uh, verse 11. Um, Paul writes But when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to a fa- his face because he stood condemned. For certain men came from James, uh, for before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though you live like a Jew, uh, though you, uh, sorry, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We see it even in, in Peter, even after he was the apostle Peter, in those settings. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's our profession of faith. It leads us to Christ. Handley Mole, I think that's how you say his name. Uh, Early 20th century theologian put it like this. He said, the harlot, the liar, the murderer are short of the glory of God, but so are you. Perhaps they stand at the bottom of a mine and you on the crest of an alp but you are as little able to touch the stars as they. And that's it, you see. Christopher Ash, a British theologian, says this. Why such a massive emphasis on faith? The answer is that Paul wants the church in Rome to live together in harmony. And he knows that only this doctrine can unite a church. Because only this doctrine humbles every human being to level zero. The only boasting that is now in order is not what I've done for him, but what he has done for me. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul ends this section by saying All right, now what about the law? Do we overthrow the law by this faith? Now, you might think, well, perhaps he'd say, sure. I mean, what do we need the law for? It can't really help us. It can't bring us to, it can't justify us. And he says, no, the opposite is true. He says, by no means, on the contrary, we uphold the law. We establish the law. How could that be? Well, if God were ever to justify us by our works, he really would have to throw out the law. Because we can't do it. He would have to say, pfft. Well, the law is no good. We'll have to throw this out. I have to find some other way. Can't justify them by the law, by the works of the law. But he doesn't nullify the law. The law is the law. The law is the the righteous. And so what does he do? He sends Christ, born of a woman under the law. And what does he do, Christ? He obeys it because it's the law of God. It's righteous. It's holy. Every jot and tittle. He obeys it, even to the point of obeying the punishment part that he doesn't deserve, that we do, but he takes our sin upon him. So Paul could write, get to this in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh couldn't do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So where does this put us? Well, first it puts us where we ended last week in... Romans in chapter 11. Of oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. And how inscrutable his ways. For is known the mind of the Lord who has been his counselor. Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul puts it in First Corinthians in chapter 1. Because of him, you're in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. See, we can't boast in ourselves, so what do we do? We've been made to boast. We've been made to worship, so we boast in the Lord. We take our confidence in him. We say that all that we have comes from him. Then in chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, he says... For who sees anything different in you? And here's a question that you should put to yourself every day. It's a question I should put to myself every day. What do you have that you did not receive? <laughs> no, is that a question that will go to the bottom of your heart? What do you have that isn't from God that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it. That is to say, why did you boast? As if you generated it yourself. Um, We read uh, this morning as the assurance of our pardon of our um, confession of our sins from Ephesians 2 chapter 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith and this not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one would boast. So it leads us To our worship, but I want to leave this with you as well. For this is part of Paul's aim in bringing the church this truth. Now he brought it to them so they would know they were saved by grace through faith. But but he brought it to them for a particular purpose. Remember, Paul was writing to the church in Rome so that he could enlist their partnership to go to Spain. And so you see, it's knowing this that God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, that there's no boasting in ourselves, but only boasting in what he's done. Paul knows that if the church can grasp that, then he can elicit their partnership. If they don't grasp it, they won't. Because you see, it would be easy for the church in Rome to say, hey, we're great. We're Romans. I mean, this is like the center of the universe. This is the capital of the world. We're in the best city, the best place that could ever be. We have everything here we need. And the reason that we're saved is because we're Romans. And if they believe that, they won't ever go anywhere else. So Paul says, I want you to know, people in Spain are just like you. They haven't got anything at all to commend themselves to God and neither did you. And so how can you keep what you have? How can you keep what you've been given? How can you keep that which you can't boast in anything in yourself. You can only boast in the Lord. So I want you to boast loud enough that the people in Spain can hear it. I want you to boast loud enough in the Lord that the people in Spain can hear it. And oh, by the way, I'll take that. I'll take that message. And so for us as a church, you see, it, we boast in the Lord. We can't say that we're saved because we're so cool because we go to grace. We can't say we're, we've been saved because we had a great Christian upbringing, which I hope you did and I hope our children do. You can't say I've been saved because I'm this person. No, 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 no. God because of his wonderful grace, has saved us. We've received it. And now he says, just make that known. Boast, not in yourself, but boast in the Lord loud enough so others can hear. Let's pray, Father. I pray for us. We'd really get it. I pray for me that I really get it. There's nothing in us about which we can boast before you, that we can only boast in what you've done. So please work in and through us in such a way that you would unite us so that with one voice we may boast in you loud enough that others may hear. And this I pray.